Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Um, Before we do that, I want to read our, our passage for this evening. It's from Philippians 2. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And listen to what he's done for us. He says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Lord, once again, we just want to give you all of the praise, the glory, and the honor for the fact that wretched, undeserving sinners like us would find a place in your courts. And so we worship you. And everybody said, Amen. Why don't you grab a seat, church? Hey, uh, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, Check your attitude. Check your attitude. Now turn to your other neighbor, your second choice, and say, this one's for, for me. This one's for me. Ever heard that line from your parents? Check your attitude. Maybe you're the parents saying it now. Um, so good to be speaking with you tonight. If you haven't met, yet, met me yet, my name is, is Jake. I'm so blessed to be part of uh, the team around here at Crossroads, and it's such a privilege to be speaking with you uh, tonight. Uh, and we're speaking out of this passage that we've, we've just read in Philippians. And uh, if you're wondering why I ask you to uh, tell your neighbor to check their attitude, well, in my Bible, the NLT, the translators, they've added uh, the subheading for this particular passage that reads, have the attitude of Christ. Have the attitude of Christ. And so we're going to be looking into this today. Uh, what was the attitude of Christ and therefore what should our attitude be? Uh, here at Crossroads, we're in the middle of a series at the moment called Better Now. Uh, it's a series on gospel-impacted relationships. And what does it mean when we say gospel-impacted? Well, it means that our relationships with others should be impacted and, and changed by and because of our, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
you know, what's the gospel? It's the teachings of Jesus. So if our lives are impacted by the gospel, it simply means that we have changed or adapted as a result of having Jesus in our lives. And, and scripture tells us that as our relationship with Christ grows, as we surrender more of ourselves to his will, as we fall deeper in love with him, that we will become convicted and motivated to become more and more like him, like Jesus. You know, our passage today, it started off by saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, uh, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And now, you know, Paul, the writer of this passage, he's talking about a specific example here of humility. Uh, but, but what he is saying is, is if you know Christ, if you know what he's done for you, like we've just sung, if you have received the Holy Spirit within you, then start to obey him. You know, don't stop at your salvation, but rather commit your life to knowing him better and imitating what he does. In verse 13 of our passage, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. So, so don't stop after the sinner's prayer. No, no, no. Because true surrender and relationship with Jesus Christ, well, that starts with your salvation. But at that point, the work has just begun, right? Because the gospel should impact our lives and our relationships. And we call it better now because, you know, if we model our relationships with one another from the example of the gospel, we firmly believe that if we do this, our relationships with other believers will become better. Uh, and so at this point, uh, the question that we have to ask, of course, is what did Christ do? What did he do? How did he model his relationships? And uh, today our passage looks at, I think, possibly the most important attitude that Christ adopted in his relationships on earth, uh, and that is humility. And I, I don't say this to, to make a snappy line or to use big buzzwords, but, you know, I think this is biblically defensible. Let, let me ask you this, and, and, and you can talk back to me. Um, if we don't have humility, what do we have? We've, we've got pride, right? And in, in Proverbs 8.13, it says, To, to fear the Lord, i.e. to respect the Lord and, and revere him as king of our lives, to, to fear the Lord is to hate evil, to hate pride, and arrogance. Maybe it's still better said in the Gospel of Matthew, though, where it says, if any of you wants to be my follower, this is Jesus speaking here, if, you want, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. So drop your self-ambition and your self-promotion, get rid of the pride, and take up your cross and follow me. It says that if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake... If you humble yourselves, submit to my will, then you will save it. Uh, and, and so obviously, humility in, in the kingdom, this is important, right? Uh, and so what does true humility look like? Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, once said this, I love it. He said, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays, he will not be some sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. 
rather, instead, probably all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it'll be because you feel a little bit envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He won't be thinking about humility. He won't be thinking about himself at all. He goes on to say, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I think I can tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. He says, if you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. I love that. The first step towards humility is to realize that one is proud. And uh, the first point I, w- I want to make today is, is this. Humility is a response. Humility is a response. Paul, as he was writing this letter to the Philippians, he knew that humility is not just something that we can simply take on and off, not something that we can just decide we're going to do in certain moments. No, he knew that humility is actually deeper than that. It's a state of mind. It's a matter of perspective. It's a response. And in this beautiful piece of poetry, we can tell that he, he understands that any humility exhibited without a deep knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done for us, it would merely be false humility or thinly veiled pride. But true humility is a response to the love and servanthood of Christ. It's that simple. And, and Paul, he's picked up on this because as he encourages the Philippians who he's writing to, to show humility in their relationships with one another, all he does is remind them what Christ has done for them. Listen to this beautiful piece of scripture. We just read it before. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he, he tells them what he's done for them. He says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just stop and think about the significance of that for a minute, right? To be honest, I'm not sure that we can even fully grasp it, but the creator of all creation came to earth and made himself nothing. He carried a rugged old cross and suffered a humiliating criminal's death all in pursuit of you. You know, he could have come down in in royal purple robes and lived in a palace that would have made far more sense, actually, but he came as a humble carpenter's son, gave everything, faced persecution, put up with relentless mockery, suffered extraordinary pain because he loved you, because he loves you. Not because you've done anything to deserve that love, not because we've impressed him, not because it makes any sort of sense, but because even though we've opposed him and let him down time after time after time, he loves us and he wants reconciliation with us. And I think if, if we can properly grasp that, the only response to us, a response available to us will be humility. Humility, it truly is a response. I read this quote that puts it far more eloquently than I ever could. They put it like this. You know, knowing that you are sinful beyond measure, yet loved beyond imagination, tends to make a person humble. Church, we are living through a self-esteem epidemic in the world at this minute. Uh, I want to share with you some statistics out of a book called uh, The Road to Character by David Brooks. And 
Uh, It's not a Christian book, but listen to these numbers that it records. It says that in 1950, the Gallup organization asked high school seniors if they considered themselves to be a very important person. And at that point, 12% of them said, yes, yes, I do. And then they asked the same question in 2005, and and at that point, it wasn't 12% who considered themselves very uh, important, it was 80%. And, uh, you know, psychologists, they have this thing called the narcissism test, where they read people's statements and ask if the statements apply to them. Statements like, I I like to be the center of attention, I I show off if I get the chance because I am extraordinary. Um, Other ones like, somebody should write a biography about me. And, you know, the median narcissism score has risen 30% in the last two decades, and 93% of young people score higher than the middle score just 20 years ago. You know, this shows that our self-esteem is rising rapidly as a whole, right? But come on, we, we don't need a psychologist to come here to our church today to tell us that we have every bit of data to show that we are, we're not becoming happier. Rather, the data shows that we are becoming more depressed and more anxious. We don't have peace. And the truth has been in the Bible the whole time that as we put ourselves at the center, we don't find joy, but instead we find heartache and we find pain. But it's only when we bring Jesus to the center, when we check our attitude that we find the life that we are looking for. You know, our society is teaching us to wake up every morning and give ourselves affirmation, to get in the mirror each day and say to ourselves, you are beautiful, you are kind, you are loving, you are caring. But listen, I think we have it all around the wrong way because the way of the kingdom is to wake up each morning and say, he is beautiful, he is kind, he is loving, he is caring. And though my flesh trips up, he loves me anyway. Though I stumble and fall, he picks me up. Though I did nothing to deserve it, he laid his life down for me. And he goes before me, he walks behind me, his spirit lives within me. So even though I have little, even though my flesh is weak, I will fear no evil because I know the God who can do exceedingly more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. That should be our posture. That should be our reassurance. Let me tell you, the more stock that we place in ourselves, the more we will worry, the less true confidence we will have. The way of the kingdom says that the path to true joy is not to fulfill all of your own desires, but to lay down your life and surrender to the will of God. The prodigal son in scripture is the prime example of this concept. He said, Dad, I want to go and find freedom. I want to do things my own way. Would you give me the inheritance? Give me the money now. And what happened? He, He went and he tried to fulfill all of his own desires and wants until he realized it didn't fulfill anything. He was just left broken. And it was upon this realization that the son, he postured himself in humility. He said, you know, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But maybe, just maybe, could I be your servant because even your servants are living better than I'm living right now. And see, what's happened in the story of the prodigal, he, he, he's found humility. He's realized that actually I'm, I'm nothing special. My own will and my own desires, they've led me down a path of destruction and I'd be better off being a servant in my father's house. 
But if you don't know the end of the story, the father says to him, you know, don't be silly. You are my son. I love you despite what you've done. And, and the father, he puts on a party, sparing no expense. He was just so excited to have his son back home. See, the church, the, the way of the kingdom, the way that Christ models to us is it's all a little bit backward to what we're used to. But it's when we forget ourselves, when we lay down our lives, that we truly find life. Humility is a response to God's love. Have you picked up on just how much God loves you? If you haven't yet, man, we would love to tell you about it. Uh, Reuben, Pastor Reuben, preached out of Romans 8 last week. It's an incredible passage, and our uh, Connect group restudied it this week. And a couple of the words in that passage stuck out to me from, um, from the Scripture, and it says that because we are God's children, we are also co-heirs in the kingdom. And I looked it up, and the term for co-heirs in the Jewish language is this. It's sunkle ronomos, and the definition of that term is Properly entitled to inherit everything that Jesus does. Whoa. That means that raggedy old me, broken down me, prone to wander me, is properly entitled to inherit everything that Jesus is. That means that Jesus hasn't just gone to the Father and said, Dad, Dad, I've got this friend. I met them in Palmerston North. And listen, I know they're a little bit rough around the edges. I know they're a little bit broken down. But you know, do you think maybe we could just you know, let them stay? They don't have to take one of the nice guest rooms. We could just put them on the old fold-out couch in the lounge. That's, that's just not it. As a matter of fact, we are entitled to sit right next to Jesus at the banquet of God the Father. Man, that's incredible, isn't it? Our access to the Creator is incredible. God loves us so much. Do you know that? The second thing I want to pay attention to tonight is that building humility is uncomfortable. It really is, right? I, I don't think it matters how spiritually mature we are or how long we've been doing this. When our humility is being built, it is usually because of an external factor that is uncomfortable. I found this to be biblically true, but I've also experienced it. You know, being humbled is the result of recognizing our own weakness. That, that's not comfortable. Um, sometimes we're, we're humbled because we've come up against something that we realize we just simply cannot navigate on our own. We don't have the strength for it. And sometimes we're humbled because somebody's pointed out that weakness to us. But either way, right, it's, it's not comfortable. But the mark of spiritual maturity is how we respond to a humbling experience and whether or not we allow God to teach us in these moments. I, uh, I had a humbling moment this week. Does anyone want to hear about it? Yeah, of course you do. Um, yeah, anyway, so I was upstairs in the offices and uh, I was writing this message on humility and uh, I decided I'm going to come down for lunch break and, uh, you know, a few of our staff kind of meet out in the cafe um, for, for lunch and, and have some yarns. And um, I, I was just kind of sitting there minding my own business and probably scrolling through Instagram. Um, when all of a sudden, Pastor Ruben, our, our lead pastor, um, he uh, just starts wetting himself with laughter, right? He uh, just starts cracking up. And, and I mean, this is ugly laughing. This is like cry laughing. Um, and unfortunately, 
by the way that he was kind of looking at his laptop screen and then glancing across at me, looking back at his laptop screen, I unfortunately knew that this was going to be at my expense. Uh, and so I was a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but sure enough, he turns around his laptop, laptop screen, and there on the screen uh, is a picture where he, he's found, and it's a picture of kind of 12-year-old Jake, and it's, it's not a good look. It's, um, you know, I, I try my best, right, to look presentable. But back at this time, I, I wasn't doing quite so well. Um, and I had, I don't know, like this sort of, sort of graphic tee on. Um, I, it's definitely not fashionable now, and I'm, I'm beginning to think it probably wasn't fashionable then. Uh, and I was kind of doing this like sort of pout with my mouth. I don't know who had advised me that that might be a cool thing to do, but uh, here I was. <laughs> Anyways, I... Um, <laughs> Anyways, I wasn't enjoying this moment as, uh, as Reuben was finding so much joy in it. And uh, unfortunately, sorry, sorry, he's talking to me. Um, and, and anyways, he keeps finding more and more of these photos. He's kind of going through the Facebook archives. So this is just um, a public service announcement. If you haven't looked back on what's on your Facebook from a while back, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Just go have a wee cull. Just, um, that would be a good thing to do. He keeps finding more and more in church. I couldn't take it. Um, I, I was so embarrassed. I ended up having to block our lead pastor on Facebook. <laughs> it got to that point. <laughs> Anyways, I, uh, I head back upstairs to continue writing my message on humility. Um, and it hit me, the irony just hit me like a freight train, right? Uh, so easy for our flesh to just be so um, caught up and worried about how others see us and, and our own image. Um, and so anyways, I was taught in this moment, right? I thought, man, I've got to counteract this. I was feeling a bit convicted. So I thought, how, how do I kind of overcome this? And I thought, well, I'll bring the photo with me today to show you. So do you want to see it? Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm not that grown. <laughs> yeah, no. Now, listen. <laughs> listen, uh, stupidly trivial example, right? But um, you know, God tends to use the moments of a kind of discomfort in our lives. He, he uses those moments to teach us. And uh, if you've been on, Blake, are you currently looking through my Facebook feed? I'm just, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, if you've been on this Christian journey for a minute, you'll get this. It's, you know, it's usually the times of heartache, of, of discomfort that we learn our biggest lessons. You know, don't get me wrong, God, he loves to see us thriving, he wants to see us fulfilled, but, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when God uses those moments uh, that we find ourselves in, the uncomfortable moments, to build our reliance on him, to build our dependency, because, you know, truly that is what humility is, it's just recognizing our necessity for God, you know, and when we recognize how weak we are, our estimation of how strong God is will just become so much greater. Um, Paul, the writer of today's passage, uh, he wrote a different letter to the Corinthians, and he said a famous line in it that I, I want to read to us today. I just think it's an extra, uh, ex extraordinary piece of writing. It's, you know, it's easy to forget that when we read our Bibles that this isn't just story, but this is lived experience that we're reading, um, which I just think makes this passage all the more incredible. And in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, he said, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is an incredibly difficult and uncomfortable passage to live out. That passage is all about humility to say that though the situation I am in is difficult and and though I would much rather not be in this place right now, even though I've asked you to take this pain away, I'm going to submit to your teaching in this moment. I'm going to humble myself, trust in your strength and not my own, and allow you to turn this for your good and in your timing. It's a beautiful thought, but it's, it's tough when you're there. Some of you may be in this place right now. Chances are most of us can point to something in our lives that we would just love God to fix. We would love for the big miracle, the immediate breakthrough. And my encouragement to you is to keep praying for that, to keep faith for the impossible. Because we do, we worship a God of miracles, amen. Don't limit your estimation of what he can do in this situation. But as we're in the waiting phase, we will have two options. We can, you know, let our perceived lack of intervention on God's part to take faith away from us. We can lose trust. Or we can choose to imitate Christ's humility, accept that he knows best, and increase our dependency on him. Letting him teach us that though we are weak, when we humble ourselves to his will, his strength is made available to us. My final point tonight is, is this. It's work it out. Work it out. In my notes, I've used the subheading, hallelujah, but how? Like, I, I amen to that, but, but how, how do I actually live this thing out, live out humility? In verse 12 of our passage, it says, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Work it out. And we're talking about uh, the gospel's impact on our relationships at the moment. Today we've learned a little bit about humility. But how will humility affect our relationships practically? Well, I want to start by saying this. The action of humility, the verb, the outward product of humility in one's life is service. If you want to put this thing into practice, take it from knowledge to action, that's how we do it. We serve, we serve one another. Christ, by his very nature, was a servant. And, and this passage talks about his servanthood on the cross, where he gave of himself for our benefit. But really, throughout his whole life on this earth, Christ was just that, he was a servant. And in John chapter 13, Scripture records that even in his final hours before his death on the cross, Jesus was, he was sitting around a table sharing a meal with his disciples, and he does this extraordinary thing. He, he takes off his outer garment, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, in our culture and in our time, this would be an undignifying thing to do for someone, but 
back in this time, you have to understand, they were walking most probably in open feet sandals in humid conditions, walking long distances each day. There were no sewage systems at the time. There was likely human and animal waste on the streets. So the disciples' feet would not have been a pretty sight. They would have been calloused. They, they would have smelt. And the, you know, the washing of one's feet at this time would be something that only a hired hand or a servant would ever do. But Jesus Christ, who we believe to be the Son of God, he chose to kneel down and wash the feet of his friends. If the Savior of the world is willing to kneel down and wash the feet of others, well, who are we to think that we should place ourselves above such a task, right? Above serving one another. And I just want to read to you the challenge that at the end of this passage that Jesus gives to his disciples, he says, do you understand what I have done for you? You know, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Church, if we want to see blessing in our life, if we want to see fulfillment in our life, if we want to see all that God has for us, He's modeled to us what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves and start washing feet. We need to put others above ourselves. And uh, verse 3 of our passage, it said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. And Night Church, that has some implications for our lives. That means that we have to start to work out our salvation. And sometimes that is going to look like literally working it out with one another, right? If we want our church to be a place where um, others can come and experience the goodness of God, where the lonely can find a place to belong, you know, that's not going to work if we don't have the ability to work out our differences between one another, truly commit to looking like the church. You know, I reckon there are two inevitabilities when two or three gather in the name of Jesus. And the first is that he will be there with them. That's Matthew 18, 20. And the second, though, there, there will be disagreements. I, I think it's inevitable. But if we want to behave as, as Christ did, we have to work it out. And how do we work it out? We think of others as greater than ourselves. We humble ourselves. We remember our position. We begin to wash feet. We forgive others as he forgives us each and every day. Value others above ourselves. There's some other implications to this as well. You know, it means gossip. It means gossip has to stop. I think this is true of every age and stage. You know, what we're doing when we gossip about one another is we place ourselves above others. We become self-righteous. We become prideful. And the outcome of that is incredibly destructive. For both ourselves and the person we find ourselves talking about. You know, can I be clear? Gossip is not informative, it's not helpful, it's not called for, it's destructive and it's prideful. As Christ followers, we won't always agree, we won't always treat others the way we're supposed to, but we're asked to continually humble ourselves in response to the love of Christ so that we might be able to exhibit true humility to the people around us.
You know, the easy way to escape conflict in a community is to simply escape. It's to run from the conflict. It's how the world would suggest that we respond to, to conflict. And I, I just want to pause for a second and, and be careful to say that there are some situations where, you know, reconciliation between two people would be unwise. And in these situations, you know, healthy boundaries alongside the forgiveness in our hearts, that's just what's appropriate. That's what's necessary. Sometimes distance is the correct response. And I want to be careful to note that. But we are never called to let our pride and our ego get in the way of healthy relationship and servanthood in the body of Christ. You know, we should have little tolerance for our own pettiness, and we should adopt Christ-like patience for the people who come against us. You know, to bring it back to the start of my message, we ought to continually check our attitudes, ask ourselves, are we doing our utmost to exhibit the qualities of Christ? in our relationships with others. I'm going to wrap this thing up, so I'd invite the band to, to come up with me. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, Daryl Purdy um, brought us a message called The Greatest Example. I was so impacted uh, by this message. If you were there, he, he started by telling us the story of a time on the beach early in the morning as the sun was rising, uh, where, and God came and met him just in a, in a timely manner and reminded Daryl that, you know, he sees him, he accepts him, that he would sustain him for the next season. And Daryl went on to talk about gospel-centered friendships, the fact that, you know, Jesus is the greatest example of a gospel-centered friend. And uh, that message impacted me greatly because as he, as he told that story of the early morning in God's creation, I could recall moments like that also in my, in my own life. You know, they're usually also in creation where God has just come and he's reassured me and his presence has felt so close to me. I can think of moments where the sun has been setting over mountains or um, been around a campfire in the middle of nowhere and God has just felt so close. And after a week where things had just felt like they'd been sitting a little heavy, you know, Daryl's message was a timely reminder to me that we not only have a king and not only an authoritative God, he is both of those things, but we also have a friend in Jesus. He's not against us, but he's for us. He's a friend that will be honest and accepting and a friend who will seek reconciliation with us impacted me greatly and as I finish today I want to ask you this I want to ask you what's your friendship like with Jesus have you been tending to it have you been paying attention to him have you been ready to listen for his honest voice do you recognize his reassurance in your life do you recognize his discipline what's your friendship like with Jesus I found the results of this recent survey really interesting. And the survey asked travelers and recent migrants coming over to New Zealand um, about their experience trying to make friends in our country. And there was an overwhelming response. It was like this. They said, New Zealanders are very friendly, but very hard to make friends with. What does that mean? They said that Kiwis are excellent at light chat, at the small talk, at banter, but it's incredibly difficult to move past this and into real lasting friendships. 
and you know, as I as I speak to to people each, each week, what I've noticed is that I think sometimes we can actually apply this the same culture to our friendship with Jesus too. So often I have you know conversations along the lines of you know I would I would love to read my Bible more, I would love to pray more, I would love to experience the Holy Spirit more, but you know things just get so hectic and I got study to get through or I'm slammed at work, family is busy. Trust me, I get that. You know, life gets busy. I stand here today and I'll be honest, you know, there are some weeks where I I get to the next Sunday and realize that my bookmark hasn't left last week's passage. But when it comes, uh, but for any good friendship to work, church, in the way that it's supposed to, it has to be prioritized. It needs time. It needs to be invested into. And when it comes to our friendship with Jesus, He is so forgiving. He He doesn't hold a grudge when it's been a while since we've talked or when we've done something wrong. But He's desperate for us to come back and sit with Him. I started today saying that humility is really just a response to knowing what Christ has done for us, the love of Christ. And so I want to ask you, do you know what He's done for you? What's your friendship like with Jesus? Are you giving him priority? Are you spending time with him? And when he speaks to you, do you recognize his voice? Do you recognize what he's saying to you? I, for one, don't want to let life go past and realize that I've been keeping Jesus at surface level, that I've been treating him as an acquaintance, as an acquaintance, you know, somebody I want to get to know better one day. Acquaintances, they're not people that you trust your life with, that you sacrifice for. If we are going to have gospel-impacted relationships, they will be, they'll be rooted in humility. We will wash the feet of others. We will serve one another, place others above ourselves. We'll live in contentment and blessing as we do so. But that is all a response to an intimate friendship with Jesus Christ. And that is something that is offered to each and every one of us. And all it takes is for us to surrender to Him and spend time with Him. And so, you know, we're going to uh, spend some time into, in worship now. We're going to continue to worship. We're going to sing that new song again, what he's done. Remind ourselves of the significance of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to give him the glory for it. And maybe you, you just want to spend this time just listening for him. Spending time with him. Resurrender yourself to him. Maybe you want to surrender to Him for the first time in your life, and we would love to walk you through that. Maybe you just want to stand up and sing loud and proud and clear about what He's done. Um, Either way, there'll be uh, leaders down the front. We would love to pray with you and for you. What's your friendship like with Jesus? Uh, Let me just pray as, as we wrap up and head into a time of worship. Father God, We're grateful for the servanthood that you modeled to us during your time on earth. It's pretty astounding to think that um, someone with your authority, the creator of all things, had so much compassion for us, a bunch of sinners, that you would lower yourself and you would become a servant, all in pursuit of your love for us. Wow. And so, Lord, we want to give you the glory and the honor. 
and we want to give you the surrender and the humility that is only a response uh, as an appropriate response to what you've done for us already Lord we're sorry for the times where we've where we've gone away and we've forgotten the significance of your sacrifice but Lord we want to surrender ourselves again uh, tonight remind ourselves of your authority in our lives. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, You can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.